Welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. Hey. So, um, you know, I was thinking about I was thinking about doing a topic this week. You know, I was thinking about it. You were thinking it about me, it. Yeah, I gotta like, it's like a roller coaster. I gotta like work my way toward a topic I'll be like mm-hmm. oh, I should work on something this week and I'm like oh, I gotta really figure out something and then I realized I haven't done a science one in a while yeah we've been doing a lot of really good I mean great topics don't get me wrong all of them very good uh but I was like I gotta get back to my roots my science your science, science roots? roots my science roots I don't know what I'm trying to say <laughs> but I was like what if I did a series because you got a new series now yeah I want to do a series okay. I want to do a new series my new series is going to be about the senses. Ooh. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe I'll do one about the sixth sense, um, which is kind of hard to quantify. But <laughs> um, so I'm going to start today uh, with an episode I'm calling Hear, Hear, All About the Ear. And this is so fitting because this is what is required to feasibly listen to this podcast. Exactly. Oh, and we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. (laughs) We have a a personal connection to this. So let's just, (laughs) I mean, we all have ears, right? Um, So let's start with the parts of the ear and what they do, right? So your outer ear includes the pinna, which is the visible part of the ear, that Mm. outside shell-like part as well as the ear canal, which ends at the eardrum. And the eardrum is also called the tympanic membrane. Mm -hmm. So that's like, that's part of, that's all your outer ear. So the pinna serves to focus sound waves through the ear canal toward the eardrum. And because of the asymmetrical shape of the outer ear of most mammals, sound is filtered differently on its way into the ear, depending on the location of its origin. Ooh, I didn't think about that. Right? So this also, and I didn't realize this, but it gives these, it gives animals the ability to localize sound vertically. Oh, yeah. You can so like lo- when lo- your dog kind of like perks, you know, perks their ears up. Yeah, we have that, but not like we we can't move our ears. But mm-hmm. the shape of our ears allows for us to like grab a bunch more sound, kind of thing, which is cool. Um, the eardrum is an airtight membrane, and when the sound ra- waves arrive there, they cause it to vibrate following the waveform of the sound. So like a drum, mm-hmm. you know, the wave the waves come through the air, and they hit your eardrum, and your eardrum is like bum-bum-bum-bum-bum, um, which is how you, how you hear. Uh, earwax is called cerumen, and it's produced by ceruminous and sebaceous glands in the skin of the human ear canal. Uh, which protects the ear canal and the tympanic membrane from physical damage and microbial invasion. So it's it's a protective. It's not just disgusting. So you need it. You do need it. You do need it. Um, so the middle ear consists of a small air-filled chamber that is located in the middle of the eardrum. So within this chamber are the three smallest bones in the body, known collectively as the ossicles. Okay? Yes. Smallest bones in your body. And they are called the malleus, the incus, and the stapes. Yes. And they are also known as the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup, respectively. Okay. So the malleus is the hammer. So you think of a mallet, right? <laughs> incus is an anvil. So iron starts with I. So incus is... is ah, okay. Or ingot, you know, yeah, all ing- these metal. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And stapes and stirrup, so they both start with S-T. Okay. 
And if you think about this as like what their common names are, hammer, anvil, and stirrup, I always think of horses. Horses have ears. And in order to shoe a horse, you need a hammer and an anvil. <sighs> and to get on a horse, you need a stirrup. Oh, <laughs> look so at you. you go. Yeah, horses have ears. So... <laughs> Everybody write our, that part down. That's going to be our next t-shirt. Horses um, have. <laughs> okay. Horses have ears. Uh, so what these what these little teeny bones do is that they aid in the transmission of the vibrations from the eardrum into the inner ear, the cochlea. So basically what the tiny bones do is they, they continue to carry the waves through to the cochlea. Mm-hmm. Um, also located in the middle ear are the stapedius muscle which is the smallest skeletal muscle in the body and is controlled by the facial nerve. And the other thing is the tensor tympani muscle, which is under the control of the medial pterygoid nerve, which is part of the mandibular nerve. So it's part of like the nerve. I know, doesn't it? Pterygoid? Yeah, it's P-T-E-R-Y-G-O-I-D, pterygoid. So um, these two muscles, so the stapedius muscle is um, b- controlled by the facial nerve. She's touching her so, face, guys. Well, I'm touching my face. Well, she's demonstrating. Yeah. So a lot of times um, when there are uh, surgeries on an ear for like people get surgeries on their ear to remove a benign tumor or whatever, um, sometimes their facial nerve is affected and it, that can cause paralysis Oh, wow! of the face on one side, whatever side your your ear that ear was um under surgery um and then the tensor tympani muscle is part of the mandibular nerve so part of the mandibles part of your jaw Mm -hmm. so it's part of that whole nerve system so again like you can really lose some feeling or or muscle movement in that if you have that that muscle in your ear affected oh wow yeah these two muscles protect the hearing mechanism through a stiffening reflex. So basically what happens is they tighten up when a loud sound occurs to protect the bones from breaking oh. because of the, because of the waveforms, because they vibrate. And if uh-huh. the waveform is too strong, it can break those bones or, or otherwise traumatize <gasps> those bones. They also stiffen, and this is going to freak you out because it freaked me out. They also stiffen during chewing so that you don't go deaf from chewing. <laughs> you know, like think about it like, uh-huh. Chewing crunchy, is crunchy, loud. Crunch. Like, crunch. Yeah. Uh-huh. If you're eating something super crunchy and someone's trying to tell you a story, you're like, hold on. I can't hear you. Mm-hmm. I'm chewing because the sound is filling my brain and my ears. Yeah. <laughs> so these muscles stiffen to like protect the little, the little bones. <laughs> so the stapes transmit sound waves to the inner ear through the oval window, which is a flexible membrane separating the air filled middle ear from the fluid filled inner ear. So the middle mm-hmm. ear has air in it. It's just air. The inner ear is liquid. So the round window, another flexible membrane, allows for the smooth displacement of the inner ear fluid caused by the entering sound waves. So it it gives it enough room to like jostle around. Mm -hmm. So ordinarily when sound waves and air strike any liquid, most of the energy is reflected off the surface of the liquid, right? Okay. So um, the middle ear allows for this kind of, it's called um, impedance matching of sound. So what it does is it it allows for the waveforms to travel accurately from air to the liquid so that you don't lose any of the sound, basically. Wow. Which wow. is crazy to think about, but that's how it works. So it helps to transfer this without any wave loss. 
So um, the inner ear consists of the cochlea, which is a spiral-shaped fluid-filled tube. It kind of looks like a snail Mm -hmm. shell. Mm -hmm. Um, It is divided lengthwise by the organ of corti, (laughs) which is the main organ of mechanical to neural transduction. So up until now, sound is coming through as a wave. So it's mechanical. It's Mm -hmm. actually like vibrating bones and liquid and all this stuff. And then in the organ of corti, that is what transfers that like physical information of the wave to your brain understanding that it's a sound. Okay. So inside the organ of corti is the basilar membrane, which is a structure that vibrates when waves from the middle ear propagate through the cochlear fluid. And the cochlear fluid is called endolymph. Yeah. How's that spelled? E-N-D-O-L-Y-M-P-H. Okay. Yeah. So the basilar membrane is uh, tonotopic. So that means each frequency of sound has a characteristic place of resonance along the wow. membrane. Okay. So, so for example, characteristic frequencies are high at the bottom. Oh, okay. And low at the top, which is kind of like reverse what you would think, mm-hmm. like what you would assume. But so every frequency of sound has its own place on the membrane. So when the basilar membrane jostles around, it causes um, depolarization of the hair cells. And hair cells are specialized auditory receptors located within the organ of corti. And they really do look like little se- like little hairs. They look like teeny little cilia. And what they do is they convert physical sound waves to neural electrical impulses that the brain can read. I, so feel, like, conver- I feel like I'm on an episode of the Magic School Bus right now. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm, you know, that's why I wore my dress that's covered in ears right now. Um, <laughs> so these hair cells, we, we as people only get about 15,000 of them and they do not regenerate. So if you, if they get damaged anyway, which happens pretty frequently, they don't come back. You only get 15,000 and if they die, you're done. So, and then what happens? And then you lose your hearing. So we'll talk about <sighs> hearing loss in a little bit, but okay. this is, this is one of the many ways that you could like basically lose your hearing. Wow. So the sound information, which includes all of the sounds attributes from the cochlea travels via the auditory nerve to the cochlear nucleus in the brainstem. So it like travels through the liquid, little hair cells convert it into the, the, you know, a readable format, I guess if we're talking about like computer, like (laughs) analogies and then it, that like those electrical impulses travel along and they go to the cochlear nucleus in the brainstem And here, different structures work together to interpret and create perception of the sound. So this is the part that makes you realize like, oh, that's a car horn or, oh, that's a dog barking or that's my mother's voice, like that kind of thing. So when we are awake, there are three levels of the brain that are activated when it comes to sound. So one is a reflex level, which is also known as the startle response. Okay. So when the message arrives in our brain, it might cause us to jump or at least like turn our head. And that's Mm -hmm. a reflex. That's just something that happens to your body. Um, Also, the auditory cortex where the sound is perceived and other brain areas, which allows the perception to become conscious. Um, Recognize the sound by comparing it to those that have been previously memorized and determine an appropriate voluntary response. So all of this happens, obviously, within like less than a split second, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But all these parts of your brain work together to be like, oh, that's a dog barking in the distance, a long ways away. It sounds like a big dog. Like all of that stuff happens in your brain. So um, when we are asleep, 
our ears and our auditory pathways are still wor working and your startle response and the reflexes can still occur. So like if you hear a really loud noise while you're in a deep sleep, you will like jolt awake mm -hmm. because your reflexes are still working when or you're asleep. Or an alarm. Or an alarm, exactly. Mm -hmm. But the other brain regions that involve emotions, motivations, memory, etc., those are inactive while you're asleep. So therefore, there are no voluntary responses or conscious perception. So this is why you can't really learn things from a podcast or whatever while you're asleep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so like if you are somebody who, and I, you know, no, no judgment. If you're somebody who puts on us to go to sleep at night... You're, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. You're not going to no. learn any extra trivia while you're asleep. It's just not the way that it's just not the way your ears and your brain work. Mm. So disturbances or trauma at any of these brain levels of the sounds path. So like a stroke or a head injury hmm. or something like that, that can cause hearing problems. And in some instances can also lead to auditory hallucinations or more complex difficulties in perceiving sound. Oof. Okay. Which is really like crazy to think about. Um, hearing can be measured by behavioral tests using an uh, audiometer. Um, electrophysiological tests of hearing can provide accurate measurements of hearing thresholds, even in unconscious subjects. So your brain will still like fire if you're unconscious. Like you may not be able to come up with a voluntary response, but your mm -hmm. brain will be like, I'm hearing this. So if you if someone is in a coma or asleep or whatever, you can still gauge what their what their hearing level is at. So such tests include auditory brainstem evoked potentials, or ABR, otoacoustic emissions, OAE, and electrocochleography, or ECOCG, C-O-C-H-G. Uh, technical advances in these tests have allowed hearing screening for infants to become widespread. So hearing yeah. tests weren't so common for a very long time. And then I'm sure Ellie had a hearing test mm -hmm. to make sure that she was firing in all cylinders there. Um, so there are a couple of types of hearing loss that can occur. So one is conductive, one is sensorineural, and then there's mixed, which is basically a mix of conductive and sensorineural. So conductive occurs when there is a problem transferring sound waves anywhere along the pathway through the outer ear, tympanic membrane, or middle ear. Mm -hmm. So this is basically like all like the physical sound waves. If there is an interruption in that pathway, that's called a conductive hearing loss. Okay. So you're you're your ear can't conduct those waves through. So that's what causes the issue. Uh, sensory neural is when the root cause lies in the inner ear or sensory organ, such as the cochlea and the associated structures, or uh, the vestibulocochlear nerve, uh, also known as the cranial nerve eight. Ooh. <laughs> I know. It's important when they give it a number. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so sensory neural... Hearing loss accounts for about 90% of reported hearing loss. So the reason being is because this is uh, age-related hearing uh, loss. Okay. Or, you know, you're exposed to a lot of really loud noises throughout your life. Mm -hmm. That's sensory neural because you're breaking down those hair cells. That you're we in a about rock earlier. band. Yes. You're in the army. You're a ro you're a roadie for a metal band. Uh, you are fixed NASCAR cars. Yes. Yes, very dangerous for your hearing. Um, Age-related hearing loss is called uh, presbycusis, and that results usually from the ge degeneration of the cochleal structures in the inner ear or auditory nerves, just like your body breaking down. Mm -hmm. it's just That's just what happens. 
Uh, hyperacusis is a rare hearing disorder characterized by an increased sensitivity to certain frequencies and volume ranges of sound or a lower than average tolerance for environmental noise. So a person with severe hyperacusis has greater difficulty tolerating many everyday sounds, which are perceived by the person as uh, either uncomfortably loud um, or sometimes physically painful, oh, which is terrible. Uh, this disorder is commonly associated with tinnitus, um, which is far more common. Uh, tinnitus is the perception of sound where no corresponding external sound is present. It's all something that's like occurring inside of your brain or your ear. Is it um, always ringing in your ears or is it? It is not always. Okay. Um, apparently it could be, uh, it's often described as a ringing, but it also might sound like a clicking, oh. buzzing, hiss or roaring. It's kind of different depending on, you know, what's going on wow. in your brain. Um, apparently nearly everyone will experience a faint normal tinnitus in a completely quiet room. So mm-hmm. if you are in a very quiet room, you'll kind of hear like a weird buzzing like, or a roaring. Uh, yep. Yeah. I get that. Um, so that's that's a normal tinnitus. A lot of people have that. Um, it's usually only of concern if it's bothersome or if it interferes with normal hearing or correlated with other problems. And the sound may be soft or loud, low or high pitched, and often appears to be coming from one or both ears or from yes. your head itself. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, I, I don't know about you, but every so often, like, I'll just get, like, a hee in yep. one ear for, mm-hmm. like, 20 seconds, and then yep. it's gone. And I always think, this is it. It's the aliens tuning the... <laughs> yeah, tuning the little, their little radio. The little chips. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kidding. So, <laughs> we're kidding. We're, we're not, kidding. we don't actually believe that. Um, <laughs> sorry, Gliglorp. Um, in some people, the sound may interfere. <laughs> My personal alien, Gliglorp. Um, in... <laughs> Just such a good name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, he told me his name. I just. <laughs> anyway, Ooh. sorry, Google Lord. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tinnitus. It's a terrible affliction. Hold on. <clears throat> we got this. In some people, the sound may interfere with concentration and in some cases is associated with anxiety and depression. Um, Tinnitus is usually associated with some degree of hearing loss and with decreased understanding in noise. So usually like if there's like background noise, you know, a lot of times like if uh, age related hearing loss and that kind of thing, you'll notice that older folks might have a hard time understanding you when you're talking to them when there's like a lot of people in the room or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's music playing or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, apparently tinnitus is very common. It affects about 10 to 15% of people. Uh, most, however, tolerate it well. And it is only a significant problem in about one to 2% of people where it's like, it affects their daily life. Yeah. Um, there's also a thing called auditory processing disorder, which is rarely known as King Kopetsky syndrome or auditory disability with normal hearing or ADN. Um, this is an umbrella term for a variety of disorders that affect the way the brain processes auditory information. And individuals with APD usually have normal structure and function of the outer, middle, and inner ear. So they have a perfectly normal ear structure. However, they cannot process the information that they hear in the same way that others do, which leads to difficulties in recognizing and interpreting sounds, especially the sounds composing speech specifically. Mm -hmm. So um, it's thought that these difficulties arise from dysfunction in the central nervous system. I think I have some of that. 
to be honest. I, mean, I think I have an auditory I, processing disorder sometimes. I feel like, you know, like sometimes I think we all have those like glitchy moments anyway, where you're thinking about something else and you're talking to somebody or you're just not prepared for the like whatever someone is saying and you're just like wait what did you just say I did not I did not grasp that in the least so mine is like if I'm giving a presentation and somebody else is talking to somebody else like nearby and I can hear them I cannot keep talking I have to like I just yeah oh yeah it does something to me like it's like an interference where like I can no longer speak because somebody else is talking and they're interrupting me yeah, that's also extremely rude of them. <laughs> For someone who has definitely given some tours, um, it's extremely rude. Mm-hmm. So don't do that when other people are talking. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about deafness and deaf culture. So our listeners may not know this, but the deaf and hard of hearing community is a rich and complex one. And Julia and I happen to live in a city with one of the largest deaf communities in the United States. Yes. Um, And the reason for this, or one of the reasons for this, is that Rochester, New York, is home to one of the best educational institutions for the deaf. And that is the National Technical Institute for the Deaf, or NTID, at the Rochester Institute of Technology. Um, Another really great educational institution for the deaf is Gallaudet University in D.C. Mm -hmm. It is the only liberal arts college for deaf students in the U.S. Um, So first, let's talk about the term deaf. So... um, Many, most deaf people prefer that to- that term rather mm-hmm. than hard of hearing or any mm-hmm. other kind of like PC kind of thing um, because it's what they are and they don't see it as a disability. They see it as, right. as just part of their culture. Um, when used as a cultural label, especially within the culture, the word deaf is often written with a capital D and referred to as big D deaf in speech <laughs> and in sign. Okay. Um, when used as a label for the audiological condition, it's written with a lowercase d, just mm-hmm. as an FYI. Uh, members of the deaf community tend to view deafness as a difference in human experience rather than a disability or a disease. And many members take pride in their deaf identity. Deaf people in the sense of a community or culture uh, can then be seen as a minority group. And therefore, some who are part of this community may feel misunderstood by those who don't know sign language. Mm. Um, another struggle that the deaf community often faces is that educational institutions usually consist primarily of hearing people. Mm-hmm. So additionally, hearing family members may need to learn sign language in order for the deaf person to feel included and supported. And unlike some other cultures, a deaf person may join the community later in life rather than needing to be born into mm-hmm. it. So if someone goes deaf, they are now part of the deaf community if they so choose. Um, So with regards to communication, members of the deaf community use sign language, which is a mode of communication using hand gestures, facial expressions, and finger spelling. Um, American Sign Language, or ASL, is a formalized version of sign language. It has its own set of grammatical rules and syntax. As a hearing person, I can communicate using signs without knowing the ins and the outs of ASL. Mm -hmm. So I can, if, if I knew enough sign language, I could, you know, passably communicate with a member of the deaf community without knowing like, you know, the, the grammatical rules. Yeah. The adverbs. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the the sentence structure, um, articles are not very, for example, aren't, aren't really a thing Mm -hmm. in, it's just, it takes too long to sign, you know, and the, a, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So those are not really needed in ASL. And that's, that's a way to communicate quickly. Also, facial expressions are very important. If you've ever watched like, a lot of um, a lot of speeches and a lot of like public, you know, 
events and things like that will have a live interpreter. And you'll notice that they make a lot of very, very large facial expressions. And this is important because they convey tone, sarcasm, humor, as well as questions. So all of this stuff that we take for granted as hearing people, this idea of tone where, okay, I'm, you know, I'm telling you a dry joke in sign that may not come off if you're not giving the facial expression of like this guy, you know what I mean? (laughs) Or questions like sometimes a question, you know, we know it's a question because our voices go up at the end. So do you want to get together tomorrow? Tomorrow or tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Like those are two different concepts. Yes. So using facial expressions is very important with regards to ASL. Um, so facial expressions are an easy way to, to bring that across. Also, I didn't know this, but in deaf culture, sumain refers to people who communicate with each other using their hands. Uh, Marla Berkowitz, who is a certified deaf ASL interpreter, describes it as a coined word from two languages, su, your, and man, hands. Okay. Um, so there are 200 distinct different sign languages in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, British Sign Language and ASL, while both based in English, are surprisingly different. Mm-hmm. And this is because ASL is based in French Sign Language. Oh, okay. Um, th- yeah, thanks to the fo- founder of Deaf Education in the U.S., who was Thomas Gallaudet in 1817. He based his educational systems on Deaf Education in France. So we have more in common. ASL has more in common with FSL. Wow. So sidebar so mm-hmm. both Florence and my husband's went to RIT and when they would ha- you know they always have um often have uh ASL interpreters at mm-hmm. events especially and and they always said that when there would be like comics that would come and visit yes. RIT mm-hmm. and you know they're on stage and you have the interpreter come on and you know their first thing would be like they'd they'd remark that like this is very weird to have someone up there of you course. know signing next to them and then I'm no matter what, no matter who it is, they would try to get like the like the interpreter to just they would just tell like the filthiest joke or like yeah, the exactly. most swear words or that kind of thing to like see how the interpreter reacted. And and they're always like just super professional and like Yeah. Yeah. Because that's their mm-hmm. job. Yep. Okay. <laughs> swear, swear, swear. Uh uh-huh. yeah. like this and that. And it's just it's really it's I mean the first I think like the first comedy show you go to and you see a you see an interpreter on stage it, it is kind of a little jarring if you're not used to it but yeah the, the the comics always try to turn it into like a bit yeah exactly and it's like I'm sure that not only the ASL interpreters but also all the deaf people in the room are like oh Ugh, my god geez. not again like this again <laughs> like, yeah what a hack and like, give me a break uh we saw um Leslie Odom Jr. at the the Eastman Theater here in Rochester and so he was doing like his like crooning and had his mm-hmm. like orchestra behind him and all this stuff and there was also an interpreter on stage for all of the lyrics of his music which was mm-hmm. really which was really cool to see too and like he said that that was the first time that he'd experienced that uh, that too like as a singer on stage having somebody interpret um for the audience that way it was really neat yeah and with music it's really interesting like they the the way that they interpret songs is different than when they interpret mm-hmm. speech right to like indicate how long someone is holding a note or like yeah, what the emotion like is in the song movement that way yes. too like mm-hmm. they were they were doing a lot of like you know swaying to things and you know mm-hmm. like like you said like you know holding a note for a long time or that kind of thing it was yeah it was really interesting to see i was i spent yeah. a lot of time watching the interpreter yeah cuz sometimes they're like 
Like they're really giving you. They're very even if skilled. You don't understand. They're yes. They're I mean, extremely it's, it's skilled. So it's it. It's, yeah, as somebody that can't hear somebody else talking and also talk at the same time, it blows my mind that yeah, that they can absolutely. do that. Yeah, and you'll notice, like I, you know, I I taught at RIT, and you know, a lot of times there's if there is a deaf student in my class, which happened at least twice, mm-hmm. um, they would have a an interpreter. Or usually two because mm-hmm. it's it's a lot <laughs> need of to take a break. <laughs> yeah, because they need to take a break. Like it's so much effort. Like they're not only conveying what I'm saying, um, they're signing with their hands, so it's very active, mm-hmm. and then they're making facial expressions to convey because you know, like they're not watching me; they're watching the interpreter mm-hmm. to find out like what I'm saying. And so that's a lot of work. You know, for an hour class, they would switch probably depending on how much I was talking. Like two or three times, which is understandable. Like that's a lot of a lot of like energy that you're putting forth to like convey what's happening. I also end so, up apologizing to the interpreters whenever I, know, it I always do I'm that. like, I'm sorry, I talk really fast, and if you need me to like, if you need me to to take it down, or you need me to like explain what a word is, I can do that. But like, I'm really sorry. I know I do that too, and they're always like, it's not a it's big deal. Like, <laughs> like literally, it's just it's lady. Fine. It's just you're my not job. Making me like say the word for like ejaculation on stage to (laughs) like 4,000 people. It's fine. Yeah, It's fine. You're doing fine. Like sometimes with like museum terms, like there, there's not, Mm -hmm. there's maybe not a sign for deaccession. Yeah. So the first time they may be like, could you say that one more time for me so that I can finger spell it? Mm -hmm. And then it's deaccession, like from there on out kind of thing. So it's just, it's, it's interesting to be, because up until I moved to Rochester, I did not know any deaf people or I wasn't around any deaf people or Mm -hmm. interpreters or anything like that. But Rochester is very, like, deaf-friendly. I mean, people know how to sign, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you make fun of me all the time for this, but Steve and I, like, we sign thank you all the time, which is you touch your chin and bring your hand out. Yeah, but sometimes it looks like you're swearing at me in Italian. <laughs> no, that's if I bring my hand underneath my chin yeah, and flick if you do it toward very- you. If you go deep with your fingertips, it looks like yeah. you're swearing at me. I know it does. Well, you you were always saying like, cause I, when you have, it's, it's helpful because if you're like in a restaurant and you have your mouth full and the waitress comes over and goes, how is everything? Or she puts something down. If you, you don't want to be like, well, thank you. Signing. Thank you. Thanks. Because uh, everybody in town knows what that means. You're like, Lauren, it looks like you're blowing the waitress a kiss. <laughs> I'm like, no, she knows. She knows what's going on. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's very interesting. And um, yeah, Steve knows some signs and things just to like communicate with other deaf engineers mm-hmm. or deaf students and you know kids from NTID. There's also, I should mention, NTID has a great um, art gallery, the Dyer Arts Center oh. um, for deaf artists. And they have a really nice collection. And um, I, I know the, um, the director there and uh, Kenzie and she's great. Um, so just as an FYI. Um, I should also mention that cochlear implants are a source of tension in the deaf community. Mm-hmm. So for ex- for a quick recap, cochlear implants should not be confused with hearing aids, which just amplify sound. Cochlear implants surpass the outer ear and target the inner ear where the auditory nerve fibers are stimulated. So it, it basically like there's a microphone on the outside. You've se- I'm sure mm-hmm. you've seen cochlear implants before. It's something that's kind of like uh, mounted on the skull and then there's like a little wire that goes into the ear. So um, so many deaf people see it as a cure for something that doesn't need fixing. 
And this idea that deafness is a physiological issue that resides only within the individual and therefore should be physiologically fixed or solved counters the teachings and beliefs within TEF culture. Like, mm. why would I, I, this is part of my culture and this is part of my community. Why would I, you know, quote unquote, fix this? Right. Um, alternatively, those who support cochlear implants do not necessarily oppose deaf culture. Like, they think this is something sure. that is just, has nothing to do with it. Um, you know, there's room for hybridization of values and beliefs in deaf culture as a society and, you know, technologies involving. And even if they're proud of their deaf identity, many deaf individuals wish they knew what their voices sound like and wish they could pick up the phone and have a conversation with ease without the need for a third party device or an interpreter. Like talking on the phone for a deaf, deaf individual requires a lot more steps than right. just, you know, picking up your phone. So nowadays... It seems like the resistance to cochlear implants has decreased since about 1990, which was the year when it was first approved for children, because that was that uh, seemed to be the, mm -hmm. the controversy where, you know, deaf members of the deaf community didn't think that their deaf children needed to be or other people's deaf children needed to be fixed. Like they should have the choice whether or not they want to hear mm -hmm. or not. So um, that's just an interesting thing. Cochlear implants are are, you know, a, a source of tension and controversy to a certain extent. Um, in the deaf community. Um, also, a couple of interesting things. Deaf culture includes behaviors and etiquette that have evolved from navigating a hearing world that hasn't really accommodating them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, deaf people may be more direct or blunt than their hearing counterparts. So when you meet a deaf person, they might be very like, it seems sort of rude. Like okay. you may, it may come off as rude. But part of that is, you know, they're signing. They're trying to like, brevity is key they're trying to get their point across as, as quickly mm -hmm. as humanly possible even if they're just chatting they want to get the information out so they're not going to waste a lot of time and energy on small talk and niceties yeah. and like politeness and that kind of thing um so uh also when giving introductions deaf people trip typically try to find common ground since the deaf community is relatively small. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, obviously deaf people usually have other deaf people in common. So when you first meet a deaf person, they may ask you surprisingly intimate questions right off the bat because <laughs> they want to get to know you as quick as possible because you might know, you know, Phil, who's awful, also deaf. Like, do you know Phil? I went to high school with Phil. Um, also, deaf people may also consider time differently. So showing up early to large scale events such as lectures is typical. This may be motivated by the need to get a seat that provides the best visual clarity for the deaf oh, person yeah. sure. for interpretation or if there's no interpretation for like lip reading. Um, also, there is a, um, a genre of art called Devia. It is a genre of visual art that intentionally represents the deaf experience and deaf culture. So Devia, it's D-E with an apostrophe, capital V-I-A. Okay. Which means deaf view slash image art. Oh. And um, we had an exhibition at the museum last year of Devia. So there were, it was, it was artists, deaf artists representing the deaf experience. Wow. And this really pushed us as an institution in a major way to start incorporating even more accessibility into mm -hmm. our museum for not only deaf folks, but for blind visitors as well and other sure. like accessibility issues. So that was really interesting. We had like a, a quick training from one of the docents who is deaf um, and, you know, you know, interacting with deaf visitors and deaf members and how to do that politely and how to communicate with them. And they gave us like a little packet with like, you know, common signs and well, that kind of thing. that's nice. So that was cool. 
Um, accessibility for deaf folks has come a long way in the past 10 years or so. Uh, live captioning and ASL interpretation is much more common now. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm sure you've noticed and I have. Um, you see it as an option on YouTube, like you can get captions. Um, and there's been a strong push for more captioning in Instagram and TikTok and other social media videos. So you'll see like TikTok videos, a lot of them are captioned. Mm-hmm. Um, RIT specifically prides itself on having the best live captioners you could ever want. <laughs> like they are... I don't know who these people are, but they're like robots. They're incredible. Um, Also, I would be remiss if I didn't say podcasts struggle with this, Mm -hmm. including us. Um, It's it's an issue because auto-generated captioning is not great. Mm -hmm. And it is a very expensive endeavor to have someone do it. And it's something that you and I have definitely talked about because um, being local to Rochester, we've had listeners who are like, I have a deaf friend who would really love to listen to your podcast. Like, do you have captions? And it's hard because... We would love to, um, but it's it's difficult because it's not captioning as accessible as it is now. It's not as accessible to us. You know, it's not like a free service that you can get. And auto captioning is right. not as good anymore. Right. I mean, not, not good right now. And some bigger podcasts pay people or they have volunteers who caption their episodes for YouTube. But ultimately, it's a very imperfect system, which is something that we're, you know, we're working on. But I wanted to acknowledge that because, you know... Accessibility is important. And, you know, living in Rochester, I would love to have deaf people be able to listen to our podcast because it's great and it's very good and they should listen to it. <laughs> they, should, they should have access to it. Yeah, we, we've definitely <clears throat> talked about this over the years and, and we do feel badly that we... Yeah, I feel responsible for that. Mm-hmm. So we have to find a way to do that. And we've talked about like putting our scripts online and like having that as like at least our notes so you can get the information across and that kind of thing. So, um, So, yeah, so that was... That was my thing on the ear and deaf culture and that kind of thing. So I've always wanted to learn ASL, but it's, uh, you know, learning a language is regardless of what it is, is, is a real yeah, And you can't do sink. that in your sleep either. You can't just. No, you cannot. You cannot learn, especially not sign language in your sleep. So um, I'm going to do another sidebar. So Please. Um, my first uh, archives internship after college, I was at the Martha's Vineyard Museum on Martha's Vineyard. Mm hmm island off of the coast of massachusetts no big Mm. deal um Mm -mm -mm. but anyway in the uh, late 1800s early 1900s there was the largest community of hereditary deaf people on in chilmark on um on martha's vineyard than anywhere else in the like anywhere else in the world and like people came there to like study them alexander bell did a lot of i don't want to say experiments but like a lot of studies involving Mm -hmm. um involving these people because again like you said um american sign language didn't always exist and so basically what happened is the people on the island invented their own form of sign language and you know at a point in the in the 20th century even like everybody on the island knew how to communicate with this large community of deaf people and they they did eventually move away you know people moved away Mm -hmm. people married into you know people uh married other family members and so maybe it it, it, their children were not necessarily deaf that kind of thing Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so i think that the the last um hereditary deaf member had had passed away toward the end of the 20th century but it was it was a really big deal that the the, the that the island kind of realized that they you know had a whole group of people that it was really important to be able to communicate with and they invented their own way um for everybody to 
for everybody to do that. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cool story. There's definitely um, blog posts and articles out there from the Martha's Vineyard Museum if you're interested in that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think it's important for a community to incorporate all members of the community, right? So this idea of, you know, there's a large deaf community in Rochester. There are a lot of people in Rochester who know how to sign basically, you know, to get mm-hmm. around and like communicate with customers or visitors or whatever. And I think that that's, that's important. That's how you create community and that's how you that's it's just kindness Mm -hmm. it's just kindness to be able to like not ostracize people because of the way that they were what they were born with yeah lauren yeah julia anyway um my quiz today is called the sound of silence a quiz about the quietest places on earth great question number one cenote tecbiha mexico in the yucatan peninsula is one of these super silent places its pure and perfect quiet is only broken by the occasional sound of dripping water it has been described as cathedral-like with thousands of chambers what kind of geographical feature is cenote tecbiha question number two the mojave desert is the driest and hottest region in north america and this may contribute to the lack of noisy people and animals it spans four western states in the continental u.s can you name them Question number three. This European city was identified as the least noise polluted in the world thanks to a survey done in early 2017. It's the birthplace of Dada, but you probably know it as the world center of banking. What city am I talking about? Question number four. Kilder Myers in Northumberland, England is the quietest place in Britain thanks to its distance from the nearest road or flight path. It's also England's largest area of this, a term for an area of peatland that is also a synonym for mire, swamp, or morass. Question number five. The official quietest place on earth is the ominously named Building 87 in Washington State. It is a man-made anechoic chamber, which is so quiet that you can literally lose your mind if you're in there too long. Maybe not surprisingly, the creator of this chamber is a giant tech company who cons- who conspiracy theorists blame everything on, from hurricanes to microchips and vaccines. What company is responsible for building 87, which you might know as being the creator of Cortana? Question number six. The research project One Square Inch of Silence is noise-free area in the Ho Rainforest in Washington State. This scrap of wilderness offers a diverse natural soundscape combined with substantial periods of natural quiet. The one square inch and the Ho rainforest itself is a part of this national park that contains the largest intact coniferous forest across the lower 48 states. Name this national park that has a Greek god-related name. Question number seven. La Mandalulach is a place in the Fjellbach Natural Reserve in the highlands of Iceland. It's so quiet that you can go miles without seeing anyone and is on the edge of an incredibly silent patch of what kind of field? Its composition is kind of ironic given that it's Iceland. Question number eight. Spanning 3,900 square kilometers, the Makadikadi Pan, which is the world's largest salt flat, sits in the middle of a dry desert in northeast Botswana. It is all that remains of the defunct Makadikadi Lake, and the only plant life is a thin layer of blue-green algae. Very little wildlife exists in this area during the dry season, but that all changes following the rains, so this should only be one of the quietest places for certain months of the year, strictly speaking. What is the capital of Botswana? 
And for extra points, where is it in Africa? Question number nine. This quiet place makes sense because it's so cold there. Often there are rarely people and few animals spending enough time there to make noise. It has never been permanently occupied by people, with no towns or villages, and a landscape only broken up by the odd research station or expedition hut. Where am I talking about? And finally, question number 10. This is one of the quietest places on the planet, even though it's inside a dormant volcanic crater. The National Park Service says the noise level inside the crater is just 10 decibels, which is the same as the noise level you make when you breathe. Though on windy days, the decibel level rises. The Shield Volcanoes Crater is a popular tourist spot where people like to watch the sunrise, glimpse stunning panoramic landscapes, and check out flora and fauna not found anywhere else in the world. Where is this silent crater? We'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be back with your answers. Listen, and I'll try to do the same, to take my share of blame for what went wrong. Listen to the girl you used to know. Voices ringing in my head. Two girls laughing, singing on the bed. You'll hear them too. All you need to do is listen. Listen. Open your heart and forgive me. Give what I need you to give me. Give me happy back. I need my happy back. Please, sister, please. Okay. All right. All right. I thought of you because you're you're my geography girl. That's so. true. Well, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> All right. I believe in you. We'll see if I, I can. Uh, yeah. Keep keep my uh, title. Okay. Question number one: Cenote Takbeha, Mexico, in the Yucatan Peninsula, is one of these super silent places. Its pure and perfect quiet is only broken by the occasional sound of dripping water. It has been described as cathedral-like with thousands of chambers. What kind of geographical feature is Cenote Takbiha? That is a cave. It is a cave or caves. Um, A cenote specifically is a deep water-filled sinkhole in limestone that is created when the roof of an underground cavern collapses. It is a term specific to the Yucatan. Um, There are over 7,000 caves in Cenote Takbiha. How many caves have you been to? I have been to zero caves because the good Lord did not give me like dark eyes so that I could go crawling in the underground. What? No. Terra firma. Top. I belong wow. at the top. I've been no to, way. I've been to a significant number of caverns over no. my the course of my lifetime. Also, again, notably have toured a coal mine. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then. Were you telling me about this? Um. Also, like my freshman year of college, like our honors program, I don't know why it seemed like they were trying to kill us. They had us go like <laughs> spelunking and we had to wear like <gasps> full 
like suit, like helmet with a light on it and like no. do a part where we had to like squeeze through no. a section that was like, you no. know, you had three feet of clearance <laughs> that you had to like get on your hands and knees. I have no. nightmares about that particular like part about like having to squeeze through that that part of a cave. It was absolutely crazy. Virginia's chock full of them, Lauren. No. You can go to Luray Caverns, you can go to Dixie Caverns, you Mm-mm. can Oh, there's so many. I'm not many. going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Forget <laughs> that. No way. God. Horrible. Anyway, <clears throat> question number 2. <laughs> The Mojave Desert is the driest and hottest region in North America, and this may contribute to the lack of noisy people and animals. It spans four western states in the continental U.S. Can you name them? Oh, man. So as the person that wrote the episode on deserts, <laughs> I should probably do True. this. Uh, okay. So it's Nevada. Mm-hmm. California. Yes. Arizona. Yes. And... New Mexico. Oh, Utah. It's Utah. It's Utah. It's Utah. I wrote down Utah. Look, I wrote down I Utah. I believe you. I believe you. You know what? You get, I'll give it to you. <laughs> um, so technically it is Southern California, Southern Nevada, and small parts in Utah and Arizona. Uh, its boundaries are generally noted by the presence of Joshua trees, which are native only to the Mojave Desert. Uh, it receives less than two inches of rain a year, and you can get up to 120 degrees Fahrenheit or 49 degrees Celsius in the summer, and down to 25 degrees Fahrenheit or negative four degrees Celsius in the winter. Sounds like a horrible place. No, thank you. No, yeah, thank like you. When you hear about people that would like go visit um, Death Valley mm-hmm. and like the thermometers are melting. Yeah, no, thank you. That's okay. We're not supposed to be there. No, I belong on the ground, not in the air or underground and temperate climate. That's it. That's all I, that's all I'm allowed for. That's all I'm good for. Uh, Question number three, this European city was identified as the least noise polluted in the world. Thanks to a survey done in early 2017. It's the birthplace of data, but you probably know it as the world center for banking. What city am I talking about? Interesting. Um, well, I'm going Switzerland. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And you want me to name the city? Uh, yes. And I'm between a couple, but I'm going to go with Geneva. No, Bern, it's Davos, Zurich. Zurich. It's Zurich. At the other end of the noise scale, the city with the most noise pollution was found to be uh, Guangzhou in China, followed mm. by Delhi, Cairo, Mumbai, and Istanbul. Uh, Beijing, Barcelona, Mexico City, Paris, and Buenos Aires completed the top 10 of the most noisy cities. Yeah, Paris is pretty noisy. Yeah, I believe that. A lot of people. Uh, question number four. And, oh, yeah. You know. People going, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question number four. Kielder Myers in Northumberland, England, is the quietest place in Britain thanks to its distance from the nearest road or flight path. It's also England's largest area of this, a term for an area of peatland that is also a synonym for mire, swamp, or morass. Is it the moors? No, <gasps> it's it's bog. Uh, okay. I was trying to fit in like a bog standard like reference, but I could not. There was no way I could write that. That made any goddamn sense. Um, Kielder Myers is specifically a blanket bog, which is formed when there is a climate of high rainfall and a low level of evapotranspiration. So the water like evaporating, mm-hmm. um, allowing peat to develop not only in wet hollows, but over large expanses of undulating ground. So it's just full of peat. Mm. 
Mm. Just full of peat. Question number five. The official quietest place on earth is the ominously named Building 87 in Washington State. It is a man-made anechoic chamber, which is so quiet that you can literally lose your mind if you're in there too long. Maybe not surprisingly, the creator of this chamber is a giant tech company whose conspiracy theorists blame everything on, from hurricanes to microchips and vaccines. What company is responsible for Building 87, which you might know as being the creator of Cortana? That would be Microsoft. It is Microsoft. It's so quiet in there, you can literally go crazy, and it's best to sit down. Here's why. Because apparently our brains use surrounding sounds to orient ourselves in space Mm -hmm. and you could easily lose your balance because it's so quiet sure also you start hearing your heartbeat your lungs and other organs in your body like jostling and moving around apparently it's like super freaky so why so why so apparently and i was like why would they make this thing so apparently it's it's for testing noise levels of like products okay so it's not it's not like uh you know, you've had a stressful week. Go and no. <laughs> go and sit in the yeah. Go sit in the, in the anechoic chamber. Yeah, no, it's because there's no echoes at all, so you can gauge the level of sound coming off of something like very, very accurately. Wow. Yeah, it's wild. Um, apparently, not this one, not the building eighty-seven, but there's another anechoic chamber in Minnesota mm-hmm. that if you pay like two hundred fifty dollars, they let you like go in there, but they don't let you go in there alone because you could like lose your mind. <laughs> It's so weird. Uh, Would you ever do one of those like, what is it like the scent, like the tanks you float in? Oh yeah, the sensory deprivation tanks. Um, I might because it does sound kind of like relaxing, and I don't think it's. I think it's, it's not totally silent. I think it's just kind of like your your face is underwater, except the top of your like you can breathe, but like it's just like your face that's above the water, and it's like perfectly temperature, so it's the same temperature as your body. I'd probably do it. I would mostly be like grossed out by the water because it's a dark room. and be like, what's in here with me? You know, I don't like that. Okay. Question number six, the research project, one square inch of silence is a noise free area in the Ho rainforest in Washington state. This scrap of wilderness offers a diverse natural soundscape combined with substantial periods of natural quiet. The one square inch and the Ho rainforest itself is a part of this national park that contains the largest intact coniferous forest across the lower 48 states. Name this national park that has a Greek god related name. Is it Olympia National Park? Yeah, it's Olympic National Park. Olympic. Okay. Yeah. Um, Olympic National Park has one of the most pristine, untouched, and ecologically diverse environments in the country. It is frequently monitored for possible noise intrusions. Question number seven. La Mana Ludach is a place in the Fjellback Natural Reserve in the highlands of Iceland. It's so quiet that you can go miles without seeing anyone. It is on the edge of an incredibly silent patch of what kind of field? Its composition is kind of ironic given that it's in Iceland. Hmm. What kind of field? Um. Um. It's like. Is it a field of greens? <laughs> <laughs> a field of greens. It's, <laughs> I like that better, actually. Um, they're lava fields. Oh, yeah, okay. they're lava fields. So, um, Landmannaludach is in the northern end of the Lauchauvechur hiking trail. Uh, or the Lauchauvechur, that's it. 
La Chauve Cour hiking trail. We do have an, at least one Icelandic listener, so I am apologizing. I looked up the pronunciations. It's I'm trying. Um, the Iceland Tourist Association operates a mountain hut with sleeping bag accommodations for 75 people and public toilet with showers so that you can go there and uh, spend some time on the lava fields. Apparently, it's extremely beautiful. So they're not flowing. No, no. They're like, okay. they're cold lava fields. Yeah. Okay. But they're very beautiful because they're like black and shiny. They're very beautiful. Oh, cool. Uh, question number eight. Spanning 3,900 square kilometers, the Makati Pan, one of the world's largest salt flats, sits in the middle of a dry desert in northeast Botswana. It is all that reminds of the defunct Makati Lake, and the only plant life is a thin layer of blue-green algae. Very little wildlife exists in the area during the dry season, but all that changes following the rains. So this should only be one of the quietest places for certain months of the year, strictly speaking. What is the capital of Botswana? And for extra points, where is it in Africa? Uh, the capital of Botswana is Gaborone. Yes. And it is in the southern part of Africa to the east of Namibia and the north of South Africa. Excellent. Excellent. I, you, it was like you were looking at my notes. Sparkle. Sparkle, Thank baby. You, sparkle. sparkle quizzes for teaching me the map of Africa. Very nice. Great job. Uh, question number nine. This quiet place makes sense, mostly because it's so cold there so often that there are rarely people and a few animals spending enough time there to make noise. It has never been permanently occupied by people with no towns or villages and a landscape only broken up by the odd research station or expedition hut. Where am I talking about? Antarctica. You, I am talking about Antarctica. Do you want to go there? No, absolutely not. It's too cold. It's too cold for me. I told you, temper climate. <laughs> I am not... Like, I'm an adventurous person to a very small degree. <laughs> I think that degree is no. Uh, excuse me. I am I am your yes girl. Like, if you're like, hey, Lauren, let's go here. I'll be like, yes, absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> as long as it's not <laughs> underground. Well, when have you ever been like, hey, yeah. <laughs> when have you ever been like, Lauren, come rock climbing with me? Never. Lauren, come down to these caves with me? Never. Watch, watch it this summer. <laughs> We're going splunking, everybody. No, we are not. You are. And I will be calling the police when your body is found. Like, <laughs> like that's how that works. I'm not going spelunking. Are you crazy? I value my life. I am going to have to raise your child. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Finally, question number 10. This is one of the quietest places on the planet, even though it's inside a dormant volcanic crater. The National Park Service says the noise level inside the crater is just 10 decibels, which is the same as the noise level you make when you breathe. The Shield Volcanoes Crater is a popular tourist spot where people like to watch the sunrise, glimpse stunning panoramic landscapes, and check out flora and fauna not found anywhere else in the world. Where is this silent crater? Well, first I wrote down Yellowstone, and then okay. I don't agree with that. Okay. I don't agree with my answer. Okay. Um... Now it is in the United States. Yes, and you can just name the state. Oh, okay. I'll just say Wyoming. Oh, it's Hawaii. Oh, okay. it's in Maui, Hawaii. It's Haleakala National Park on the Hawaiian island of Maui. It's home to the dormant Haleakala volcano, which rises nearly two miles into the sky. So that is... I just assume uh, all the volcanoes there are going to erupt again. I don't... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's my assumption. For sure. 
I'm sure that's going to happen. Great quiz. Thank you. I appreciate Great it. Great job. You know, the, uh, geography is not my thing, so I tried to do my best. Um, but yeah, um, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that. Um, you know, stay tuned for our uh, our trivia night at the Mag. Please join us. Um, all ticket sales will benefit the Memorial Art Gallery and our endeavors, our art-related endeavors. If you're interested in that, um, there will be prizes. Stay tuned for that. I'm very excited about that. We'll throw in some stickers and some magnets and stuff. I think for from the podcast, it's like a little "How's your mother?" or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's it, everybody. Um, All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> well, well, we'll see you soon, Lauren. From Lauren, Julia, and Gleepglorp. Have a great night. <laughs> uh, have a good one. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Gleep Glorp. I love it. <laughs>